Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Hello and welcome to show 351 from Engage for Success, the UK's not-for-profit social movement devoted to shining a light on best practice in employee engagement, uncovering research and sharing case studies about just how it is that engaged employees can contribute to organisational success and how organisations can go about engaging their people, um, whatever our circumstances might be at the moment and uh, we've got a very interesting angle to explore today which is really the whole topic of alumni um, and the idea well as we will as we will learn shortly from today's guest um, the idea really of sort of lifetime contribution um, and lifetime loyalty lifetime value uh, that our employees bring to the organisations uh, where they work. So um, to help us explore the topic of why alumni networks are so critical to our talent supply, uh, I'm very pleased to welcome this week's special guest, James Sinclair. James is Chief Executive at an organisation called Enterprise Alumni, and uh, we're going to be uh, talking through that topic over the next half hour. So welcome to the show, James. Thank you so much for having me on Lucky Number 351. 351, absolutely. Um, well, well, welcome. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, so tell us a little bit about your story, your personal, your own professional story, not your personal story. We don't want to all that, but your, 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 your own professional story. Yeah, thank you. I don't think we have enough time to go through my personal story. Uh, but <laughs> professionally, it, it's always been focused on rapid innovation, um, rapid delivery, and how large organizations can become more agile and can deliver quicker. So I've always been in the space of, you know, as people are talking about business transformation, there's things you can do today and you can start now. Not everything has to be a 16-year journey per se. And so I come out of SAP, IBM, EDS, the, the big enterprises, and landed about three and a half years ago where we started uh, Enterprise Alumni. Right. So, okay. So, three, so you were one of the founders of the organization, were you? Correct. One of the co-founders. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and so tell me then, how, how did that come about? I mean, how you, as you say, you were working in organizations that were very much about tech and digital transformation. Um, what took you down the route of alumni? Why that particular? It's quite a niche, niche area. Yeah, and I'd love to say that we were sitting there pondering the next great big business idea and landed upon this. But I think like most uh, entrepreneurial stories, you know, you start by going down a left lane and then a right lane and you end up in a pothole and you find an idea that resonates. But for us, it was we saw that very large organizations or large organizations for that matter were starting this migration to the cloud. Essentially, mm -hmm. they were moving off these kind of on-premise applications, these custom-built applications, and we saw a real opportunity for uh, smaller vendors to be able to support these organizations with what, what I would call best-of-breed applications. Essentially, mm -hmm. we have an application that can solve a need, and, and the area that I was focused on was in HR, and we just saw this tremendous investment going into recruiting, which hadn't changed much in a number of years, an even bigger investment by companies on retention, education, quality of life, and then mm -hmm. when people leave, it was almost, well, good luck with your life, goodbye. And we saw a massive opportunity that why would you possibly, you know, let people go and not maintain a relationship given the amount you've invested in these people? 
Well, I suppose the answer would be, the, the glib answer would be, well, they're not working for me anymore, so I don't care about them. And they've chosen to leave. So uh, literally, good luck to them and, and forget about them. But what's, what's wrong with that approach then, James? Why should, why should companies actually actively care about those employees who said, almost said to them, sorry, you're not, you know, I don't want to be a part of you anymore. Um, why, why should companies care about that? And, and what should they do uh, about it to, to maintain a, a more positive relationship? Yeah, I think the reason of why should they care is because when people leave and they go to their new job, usually the first question they get asked is, oh, where were you working beforehand? And there is an option there where the employee is going to say, I worked at this amazing company. This is what they did. This is what I learned. Here's some techniques we might be able to implement here. Uh, or they might say, I left this company and they basically kicked me out after I said goodbye and treated me like a traitor. Uh, and so th this conversation of, of ex-employees is not only for brand advocacy because they're going to walk out and they're going to represent your brand whether you like it or not and so mm -hmm. you want that to be a positive the second is they might not be a good fit anymore but that's right now in two years four years ten years they might be a perfect fit so this concept of letting people leave gaining new skills gaining new network gaining new pers uh, you know perspectives and then when the time comes potentially being able to re-recruit them so th there's some great data out there i think we had a podcast last week with ey and city and EY says 17% of all of their employees are boomerangs, as in people who leave and come back. For City, it was 12%. And I believe Andreas said that they worked it out that it was about $75,000 saving when they bring someone back, not only in time to fill and time to productivity, but also because they stay longer, they're more effective, they're better employees, all of these kind of keywords that you want when you think about a great recruit. Mm-hmm. Blimey, I mean, that's a significant percentage, isn't it? I, is, is that something in your, were you surprised that it was as high as that? Or was that, was that just, yeah, that's, that absolutely resonates with your own experience? Yeah, we see between a 10 and 25% fill rate of the requisitions by, but not only just alumni coming back, but also referrals. And I think that's something mm -hmm. also to consider is that when you leave, you may not want to return right now for whatever reason, but maybe mm. you do have someone great. And if you're a great organization, you're going to be willing to say, hey, I have someone great for this role. Uh, and there are many of our customers who offer gifts. Uh, monetary rewards, gift certificates for people that refer uh, candidates that get the job. And so these people out there are just a massive army. I think it was the CHRO of Starbucks who basically said, you have to treat every single touch point with every single person you come across like a customer touch point. And that includes when they leave. Um, and mm -hmm. I think that that's a really important conversation. I mean, another customer talks about the fact that when you leave, you're basically promoted from employee to customer. And so I think that's this changing oh, dynamic nice. we see like organizations think about, which is you're leaving for now. We never know where the world's going to go and what's going to change and where we might need access to you, your resources, your network, or, or whatever else that might mean. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I mean, certainly my own, my own business, Woodread, our, our prep proposition has always been to talk to to treat employees like customers and what we what we've always meant by that is to use the the techniques the approaches and the kind of insights and audience putting your audience your customer audience or your employee audience at the heart of your thinking um, to do that internally in the same way your marketeers do externally but I love that quote that um, I mean what you're talking about here takes it just takes that to another level if we think about when an employee leaves, actually they've just 
begun life as a customer. I mean, that's um, that's great. And that really that really strikes a chord with me, certainly. So um, interesting. Okay, so so have, I mean, let's let's look, we can't ignore the world as it currently stands at the moment. You know, out there we have COVID nineteen. Um, we've got dispersed workforces of awful lot of organisations uh, living with dispersed workforces, many of whom might be thinking that those dispersed workforces are going to be dispersed for a very long time to come if not forever um so right. what what have you seen in in your particular specialist sphere have been the, the big impacts of covid19 on on this whole issue i think the biggest thing is this recognition of maintaining a relationship it is not optional anymore and i'll give you the example we have a, a large influx over the past three four months of travel tourism really impacted industry where tens of thousands of people are being made redundant and you hear the same common theme uh, we spoke to a recruiter for one of the largest hotel chains on earth uh, last week and she said mm -hmm. we are laying off people who we love people that I spent months recruiting, people who I spent months acquiring from, months acquiring from our competitors, and now mm. we're laying them off. And mm. we cannot let that go to waste. We need to make sure that there are two things happening. Number one is if we're laying them off and we're not happy about it, we need to provide them access to resources, information, education, do everything we can to replace them because that's our mm -hmm. social responsibility as an organization. Uh, and mm -hmm. we see amazing things. Some of our customers, I think one of them does, a t CEO does a town hall, I think every week or every other week, where he comes on to all of these redundant people and basically says, look, you know, we know the situation we're in, but let me give you some visibility. This is what we think recovery is going to look like. This is what we think you can expect in terms of when we're going to start rehiring. But then he said something amazing, which is, just so you know, there are now 10 new hot skills we didn't need in January that we're going to need going forward. If we think about it, from Zoom to, you know, to collaboration tools, to Slack, to Teams, all of these new tools, or not new tools, all of these new tools for certain organizations are suddenly in play. Uh, and I think one of our other customers said it amazingly our 2030 transformation is now happening on tuesday and yes. and, and, and therefore and i love that phrase and he basically said look if you've been made redundant use this time and he opened up all of their learning resources he extended the discount that they have for the online university and basically said look make sure you use this time to come back more skilled you come back either to us uh, with more skills, more competencies, or to our competitor, or to someone in the ecosystem, but don't go in uh, horizontally. Make sure this is the time to go vertical. Mm. Fascinating. I mean, that is so optimistic, isn't it? When it's very easy to um, see everything around us being a bit doom and gloom. I mean, particularly in the hospitality industry and the, and the travel industry. And if there's a sector that's been really, really badly hit by this, it's uh, it's them. It's them, isn't it? But I think it's a consistent pulse that we're seeing in the market, which is the great employers know the recovery will happen. You know, we hear from mm -hmm. hotels, it may well take, you know, two years. For airlines, it might take three years. But that ability for leadership to say, you know, we need to spend time and budget on this, this displaced workforce because it's the right thing to do and because it will serve us in the future. It's a really a reflection of long-term thinking around how they treat their people. You know, why am mm. I engaging and, and offering resources to upskill people who are going to take it to my competitor? Well, the answer is because they're going to think amazingly of us. And when I need something of them, they're going to be like, of course I want to return to this amazing employer that even in the worst of the worst, basically said, what can we do for you and how can we help you? Yes. 
Yes. So do you think the sort of organisations that embrace this concept, James, are ones who already are already doing an awful lot of other things right? You know, they really they already understand the importance of engaging their people. And this is just a logical I'm not saying a bolt on because it clearly isn't, but it's integral to that kind of mindset that actually our people are our biggest assets and that continues forever. So I think there's some companies where you have a small cluster of people who say we have to do this and they just push it forward in the organization. And by pushing it forward, it expands the concept. You know, so there are going to be people in the company who are saying, why are we spending a dollar on these people that left when we should be spending a dollar on our own people? But ultimately, they get to see value through the program. And there are other companies who actually truly mean it and live it and breathe this concept of, you know, relationship for life, not relationship until you leave. Essentially, what we're mm-hmm. seeing companies have to do is stand behind their hashtags. And if they say it's relationship for life, that has to mean relationship for life. And I think this COVID and everything else has made everything slightly more human and made it easier for companies to actually say that. Um, you know, there are this is the time to make those changes. This is the time where you can go out to your employees, your customers, your vendors, and say the words, hey, we're going to try something new. We're not sure if it works. Whereas in mm. December or January, you could never say that. You would never admit to your customers or your employees or your vendors, whoever they are, that you're trying something that you haven't fully fleshed out in detail. But actually now you've given this opportunity that says you can rip off that Band-Aid. So we see a lot of companies just starting somewhere specifically around this experience conversation and what can we do to support you better. Uh, we see a lot of companies who are ramping up and just starting somewhere. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yes, it's almost like putting it out there in beta, isn't it? It's exactly what it is, and that's exactly how companies should operate, and they should be really comfortable mm-hmm. with that because mm-hmm. they put it out in beta, they see what works, see what resonates, see what they can double down on, and then grow from there versus spending yeah. you know, months or years trying to plan it and then realizing, well, this is not what we wanted or this isn't working as we expected. The quicker you can move into production, per se, is the quicker mm. you can get that feedback. Mm. I, I love that quote you were saying, you know, the digital 2030 digital transformation is happening on Thursday or Tuesday. Or, and yeah, I was talking it. to someone the other day and we were, you know, we were talking about what do, we, what do we not want to lose when – you know, of course, the last few months has been very difficult, but there's actually been some positive. There's been a lot of positives that have come out of it too. What are those positives that we wouldn't want to lose in the in the future world? And one of those has been organisations have forced to become more agile. You know, on Monday they were they were as they've always been saying, um, "Oh no, we can't have our workforce work from home." Oh no, you know, our 2030 digital transformation will happen in 2030. And um, come Tuesday. Um, you know, they were they were there and they were forced to be agile uh, and forced to adopt a sort of agile approach to, to things. And that does impl- does involve testing things and trying things and, and not knowing that not everything's going to work exactly as you imagined it would. Um, so really fascinating mind shift that you're you're seeing happening. And this is obviously, you know, key to this. So tell me. How, what does an what does a alumni network look like? You know what 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 does it comprise? What's what's in it? How does it work? What's in it for the employee as well as the employer? Joe, would you mind if I just follow on to your last point about agility, which is mm. I think is such a big statement that you've made? Is companies are suddenly realize they're becoming agile without even realizing it? And yes. look. We recognize that we have one customer in construction who says, look, when you're building a bridge, there's no time for agile. 
But whether, and he said, sometimes we apply those same processes to our HR processes, but it's wrong. We need to have an agile process when agile fits and a Six Sigma or whatever process when it doesn't fit. And so mm-hmm. I think your exact point is agility is just being forced. Whether they call it that or not, it doesn't matter. They're moving fast, no. they're trying stuff, and they're giving it a chance. And I think that's a good change, not from just HR and employees, just globally for companies to run a little bit quicker, if that's yeah. fair. Yeah, yeah they, 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 they have had a, you know, some have become stodgy oil tankers that take months, if not years, to turn around and, um, and, and have found themselves uh, taken to the cleaners by agile new competitors who are able to respond quickly. I mean, that's just the nature of business. And the employees love been. it. The employees love yeah. moving a bit quicker. They're excited. Yeah. They see it. You know, they see all these things. And you find more, you know, renewed enthusiasm, renewed excitement that ideas can go to production, you know, in a weeks as opposed to, again, 2030. And I yeah. think when people can get great, greater gratification of the work they're doing and see the impact of the work they're doing, they ultimately are more passionate and work faster, harder and better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you're, you're much more likely to feel like being innovative and creative if you feel you're doing it in an organization that is actually going to do something with what you're suggesting, rather than it disappearing into some black hole of rigid processes and assessments and iterations till the cows come home. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll hear back on that Excel spreadsheet in 2023 when it's been reviewed by, you know, 862 people. So I think that leads to your next question, which yeah. was, you know, what does that even look like? So yes. the legacy viewpoint of alumni was always kind of an address book and some news. You know, find mm. other people that also work at this organization. And when we off- open a new office in Sao Paulo, it's going to be on the feed. That's no longer the relationship that your past employees want. So I think there's two big points here. Number one is you have five or six generations in your post-employment journey. Everyone from Mm -hmm. interns who leave all the way to retirees who spend 45 years at the company. And each Mm -hmm. one of those groups wants something different. So the new model of alumni engagement is how can we help you? learning, discounts, mentoring, volunteering. We have one bank that's just started a program that allows their senior executives to come in and help mentor people that have left and started companies, started new startups. And the, inter- the internal people at the company love it. You know, they, one of the guys was like, nothing makes me happier than ripping off my tie and my tassel shoes, putting on my sneakers and a T-shirt, and spending a few hours on the phone with these guys and girls because I get excited. And then I go back to work, and I'm more excited. And so this new conversation around alumni is how do we help you? What do you need? And I think that's a really important question that sometimes companies forget to ask. And the overwhelming thing that we're finding for specifically early in career is not teaching them competencies, but teaching them the core pillars. Here's how you need to learn. Here's how you need to understand financial management, financial planning. We had one company who basically went to their uh, early stage field workers, people generally on the minimum wage, who are in the field who are not thinking about financial or 401k or retirement, but is saying, actually, you have to. And there's things you can do today that allow you to make sure you're starting somewhere. So in five years, 10 years, when you know, your kid goes to college, you actually have some savings. So you see different companies basically saying, how can we help you all the way from intern to retiree? Mm-hmm. Yes, interesting. Okay. And um, the, so the benefit to the organization you, you, you've outlined, and, and as far as the employees are concerned, clearly these things that you're talking about are going to be of value to them. Do, do they 
do they embrace it or do they just want to <laughs> is there is, is is there a sense of god thank god i've got got out of that place now and you know they they really don't want to be kind of contacted and kept um in a network for the long term so i think there's both sides there are people who leave who just i didn't like my manager, my organization, whatever that reason. There's other people who leave because they just got a better opportunity. I mean, I think there's a letter that comes out from British Airways when a senior executive leaves that says, good luck with your off-site training. We'll see you back here soon. And I think that's a really cheeky and humorous way to talk about the fact that they believe the grass is not greener on the other side. And we know that. We know that something like 30% of people that leave jobs actually regret the change. But obviously, you can't go back to your manager 10 days later and be like, you know, oops, can I come back? You know, our ego wouldn't allow for that. But yes, a majority of employees do jump in and do embrace it when a company says, what can we do for you? And it's different for different people. So it's not like a LinkedIn group where everyone has the same conversation, listening to the same topic. Instead, it's very focused. It says, look, we see your early career. Here's access to our learning management system. Here's access to a university where you can get a 50% discount if you want to do an MBA program. You know, the same for senior executives. We have speakers bureau, mentorship, things that are going to be of value to the individual mm. is where the future of employment is. is. You know, what are you doing for me? You know, I'm not going to sign up to this thing just so you can put me in a talent pool. That's not a thing. I left. It, yes. it, let's have a relationship. Yes, yes. So it's treating, treating the employee as an individual and fashioning whatever is appropriate to them depending upon their cir- circumstances, the stage they are at in their employee, employment life cycle. Um, I guess. And recognizing that individualized, recognizing that people are individuals and not everyone's going to fall into kind of what you expect. One of the findings, and look, we're a small organization, but one finding we have had is there are some employees who like to start a bit later and work later. And they are unbelievably more productive and their velocity is exponentially higher. So why are we forcing them into an early morning meeting that really we could do two hours later? And so essentially this, this topic of how do we serve you? as an individual, I think is going to become more and more the concept going forward for large organizations. Say, why am I forcing you to, to join, to force into our methodology? Instead, what makes you happy? What makes you mm. grow? What makes you work better? And I think companies sometimes forget to ask that question. So that's interesting. Because, I mean, that question is, is, is a bigger question than simply the alumni relationship beyond them leaving that's actually almost a philosophical question that should underpin an employer's relationship with their people across the board um i think none of these conversations are unique to alumni just treat people Mm. right treat them like a customer at every point and ask them how you can serve them better and then listen to the Mm. results (laughs) and if you take those steps it doesn't really matter whether you apply that to a vendor a customer an employee or an alumni or a recruit because now you're basically saying, as an organization, these are our guiding principles. And those guiding mm. principles should act with every interaction anybody has with your firm. Mm. At whatever stage. I mean, I think Deloitte's call it cradle to grave um, yeah. engagement, don't they, or something, which, I, which you know, is, 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 is kind of what you're talking about. Okay. Absolutely. So and same real... as EY, same as all the professionals. Serve. I mean, EY have a million mm. or a 1.2 million alumni that, that they're talking about. So if you need an mm. army to enact change, I can find you a million people. Wow, that's amazing. And they and they actively they actively engage with them for their lifetime. Actively, 
And when you Mm. need something, so we have a customer right now that has stopped all of their online advertising, primarily because of budget. And Mm -hmm. so what they're using their alumni community for is to help like and share and amplify their content. And so it's a very simple, hey, would you mind over the next 30 days, if you happen to see this, this, and this post, clicking like, clicking share, adding a comment. And they got an overwhelmingly great reaction. In fact, the social media team says the reaction was greater than any paid advertising they've ever done. So it's not always just recruiting sales referrals. Sometimes it's nothing more than just amplification of our brand or our employment brand or whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. Now that makes sense. I guess I think I know, I think I know what you're going to say in answer to this next question, James. But um, – Deloitte, I, I mentioned, cradle to grave, that implies that this alumni relationship doesn't just go to uh, retirement from the active workplace, but, but goes beyond. I mean, is that, is, that, is that what you tend to see or do, or do things tend to stop at the, when that individual is, um, you know, no longer sort of actively involved in the workplace in sort of paid capacity? That goes kind of back to the selfish intent of the company. Oh, they're in the retiree stage. Now they're just a burden. Why would we spend a dollar to engage in them? And there's two answers that are very easy. One of our customers leverages their uh, entire alumni community, including retirees, to help with their activist investors. Because most of those retirees have 401ks that include, you know, company, company stock. The second one is one of our customers is actively going to all retirees who left in the past three years and saying, would you come back to this organization on a part-time basis? And the reason is not that they just need people to be able to ramp up very quickly, boots on the ground, you know, very quick action in terms of no training and so forth. But also they said, look, the retirees have access and have experienced not only catastrophic failure, but also rebounded. And if you look at our management team, there's not many people in that management team who've been through the entire cycle of awfulness to recovery. And so looking at those retirees and saying, can you come in, provide mentorship, provide insight? You know, when the Spanish flu happened, how did that work for you? When SARS happened, how did that work for you? When 9-11 happened, how did that work for you? And so you see a lot of big companies actually reaching out to these retirees and saying, hey, we'd love you to come in. We want your insights. We want to know what worked because we want to try not to have to recreate a wheel that you guys already created. Yes. Yes, that's interesting, isn't it? We, we, we'd like the benefit of your experience and we want to learn from it um, rather than constantly reinventing the wheel. Yeah. Right. So we've, we've, we've got just, just over three minutes left, um, James. And, and I wonder whether there's a, we could talk very quickly about sort of quantitative versus qualitative value of this. So you've, you've outlined a lot of the good things the, the, the value that is in this for the employer and the employee um are we talking about um it, it covering do these sorts of things pay for themselves in terms of uh improved retention or uh reducing costs on recruitment and or is that is that seen as an added bonus So everything obviously has to go into the business case because we can have all the warm fuzzies we want, but ultimately the platform has to have an ROI. And ultimately Mm -hmm. the person that we're talking to needs to have a dashboard they can show their stakeholders and senior leadership. But when you think about lower cost of recruitment, uh, even the baseline cost of recruitment, I think the Sherm say it's about $4,500. So if you were to hire, you know, 10 people back, or you were hired, you know, 15 people and five retire referrals, all of a sudden these numbers add up very quickly. We do know that people that return uh, stay about two years longer. 
So you mm-hmm. actually suddenly have a life cycle saving over the duration. And most importantly, they're a good fit. You know, this is the whole conversation we talk about a lot of hiring strangers versus hiring someone you know. And in some roles, it's great to be able to say versus going out and trying to get resumes and seeing who we can try and work out is going to be a good fit. Well, we know Sally. Let me just ring her old manager and mm-hmm. see what she says and see if she likes working with her. And now we know that not only is Sally a great fit, she's a, you know, a diamond and we should jump on that. And so hiring known people just reduces the risk for companies of hiring someone who is not perfectly suited potentially for the role. Yes, yes. Interesting. Very interesting. I think there was a, a comment you, you made to me off, offline, which was that um, leaving should be as good as joining. And I, I, I love that concept because if we think about the excitement and the positivity and the, the warm fuzzies that we have with, with regards to our attitude to this new employer, that we don't know at all from Adam, but we, you know, we give them the benefit of the doubt. We feel positive about them. We're upbeat. We're motivated. We're engaged. Um, if you could bottle that and make leaving um, as positive rather than perhaps what it is currently, which might well be a, oh, thank God I'm out of that or, or, right. or alternatively, um, oh, I'm really, you know, I'm sad to be leaving and I'm never going to see them again and I'm never going to have anything to do with them again and feel very sorry about it. So I, I think that's a, you know, that's a lovely, uh, a lovely um, concept that you, that you shared with me. And then that's, that's kind of what it's all about, really, isn't it, James? I mean, one of our customers has hooked our system into their core HR that when you leave three weeks later, they can manually trigger sending you a a gift card and a small gift. We hope you're fitting into your new role amazingly. If there's anything we can ever do, please feel free to reach out. I mean, can you imagine going into a new job and your old manager sending you a we hope you're doing amazing uh, Mm. conversation? And what what that manager is actually doing, he or she, is leaving the door open. And I think that's where the intelligence is. How do I make it easy for someone to reply and be like, hey, I would consider coming back or, hey, I have a referral or, hey, I have some new business. Mm. And so Mm. that human element, I think, is everything. Yes. Okay. We, we've come right, right out of time, but it's leaving the door open for either for people to come back or leaving the door open for people to introduce other people or make recommendations or referrals. And it's in everybody's interest. So um, excellent. Um, thank you very much for listening. Uh, James Sinclair, Chief Executive at Enterprise Alumni. Thank you very much for joining us and talking to us about the power of alumni networks and uh, goodbye. Thank you. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.